imperative for us to grab our mind around, that we are helpless. But we're Americans. We don't think we're helpless. We've got this all figured out. And if I can't, then one of the things that I hear all the time, it's just money, you can make more. It's just, it's just money, you can go make more, you're fine. We, we never understand the depravity of our heart and the helplessness of man. So think about, just as we kind of dissect this for a minute, think about the most helpless you've ever felt. And how did you react? So we've got seven kids. No, oh, my good gracious, I hope that is not prophetic. Whoa. We've got four kids. One, two, three, four. Four kids. Four kids. Bree, four kids. No more, right? Laura, quit laughing. Uh, Laura thinks that we're going to get pregnant, and I don't appreciate that laugh or snort. So four kids. We're done with four kids. It's time for you guys to have kids uh, within marriage, of course. Actually, I don't care. Just not, I don't want kids. So do what you do so that we don't have any more kids. Four kids. The oldest is seven, is what I was trying to say. Seven, four, three, and two. Uh, so when Auburn was born, this was our first time having child's first time doing all this stuff. Um, and it was the most helpless I've ever felt in my life. So uh, labor was not going well for my wife. We were in this hospital room, and, and I didn't know what to expect. And even by the fourth kid, I didn't know what to expect. But, but here's what took place. My wife was fading really fast. Auburn has not made her way out. My wife was fading. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with my wife. When Auburn came out, they had the cord wrapped around her neck. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen because the nurse hit one button. I kid you not. Nurses, where are you at? Thank you. Thank you. Almost. Uh, the most incredible thing I've ever seen, the nurses hit one button, and within literally 15 seconds, there's about 10 nurses in there just rushing to the aid of my wife, rushing to the aid of my daughter. So Auburn had the tube wrapped around her, or tube, the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. They couldn't get her to breathe. Um, her face was just all discolored. And, and so they're trying to work on her while they're trying to work on my wife. And so I'm just standing there. Like, literally, I have nothing to contribute to anything that's taking place right now. So I'm watching. I'm going, who, who do I stay with? So they were like, uh, you're the dad, right? And I'm like, uh, I think so. Uh, they're like, follow us. So I get up. I follow uh, Carolee, or nope, sorry, Auburn all the way to, when you have four kids, they just all merge together. Followed Auburn all the way up to the NICU. They checked her in. Um, and then there's this like, doctor came and got me and said, hey, you need to come take care of your wife. So I went back downstairs through these secret hallways, got to my wife. And so I'm trying to take care of her that she's like moments away from having seizures and they can't figure out uh, what's going on with her. And then I go, okay, but like, I know I have a daughter up here and I have a wife right here. Like, where am I supposed to go? And I've never in my life prayed more than that moment right then because I was completely helpless. There's nothing I could do to save my wife. There's nothing I could do to save my daughter. And I stood there. And everybody was running around me and nurses were screaming things and my wife was just kind of looking at me and then was going back out and I had nothing to contribute, nothing to add. And so what then did I do? Prayed like crazy. So how do we pray continuously without losing heart? Here's what I know, and church, you don't want to hear this. That for your joy and for your good, the Lord has to put you in situations like that to make you feel helpless. Nothing is going to teach you more about biblical Christianity. Nothing is going to teach you more about your faith than being in a situation when you can do nothing. When you're helpless. Now, fast forward. My wife's fine. My daughter's fine. Everything is fine, but in that moment, I had no clue. I think it's a, a horrible pun joke, but there's some truth in it that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. That when you are completely helpless, what then do you do? It's probably one of the most famous Bible verses of all time, but Romans 3.23, right? 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're all helpless. There's nothing we can do. In the context of how then do we earn our salvation, how do we make our way back to the cross, we can't. Sin has separated us and there's nothing we can do. So we read this story about this widow who is completely helpless. My first question is, are, are you helpless? In your prayer life, are you coming to God in prayer from a spirit of helplessness or spirit of pride? What is it that we're walking to? But I'm telling you, if you want to radically change the way that your prayer life is right now, humble yourself. Realize there's nothing you can do. You are helpless. You're this widow that has no husband, that has no money, that has no right to speak in the setting. And see what happens with your prayer life. The second thing, do you believe that God really wants to or has the ability to change things? So we see this widow walking around constantly around this court going, hey judge, hey judge, listen to me, take time for me. Um, listen, my adversary, listen to the story. Hey judge, hey judge, woohoo. Hey judge, listen to me, take time for me. Why? Because she knew that the judge was the only one that could fix her problem. Do we believe that Jesus is the only one that can fix our problems? Again, we have to just understand, we have this such American mentality. We talked about it on our MC Friday. Um, this verse that we think is in the Bible, but it's not actually in the Bible. God helps those who helps themselves. That's what we believe. That I can take care of this. I've got this situation handled. God, I don't think, I don't need you. I don't need help. I can handle this situation. But if we realize that we're helpless and we run to the one that can help, who is that? Do we believe God wants to, cares, has the ability to fix us, help us, change us? Matthew 7, 9 through 11 would say it this way. Or which one of you, if has his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? So if we don't believe that God will actually come through for us, what does that say about our character and nature of God? If we're constantly saying, here's my prayer, here's what I need, let me go fix this for myself, then is God a good father? And we sing this earlier, we talk about it all the time, how good of a God we have, how good of a father he is. But if we're constantly running to take care of our own problems instead of running to the father, then we do believe what we sing. Do we believe what we say? Do we believe that he's a good father that cares for us, that loves us? Do we believe that he's the only one that can fix this? I mean, just for a second, when you have a problem, who do you call? When you need help, who do you call? When something is going on in your life, is God the first one that we consider? I mean, I can say it this way. Suffering, no one considers God first. When things happen that we don't think should happen, we typically run to everyone else and we blame God. So what then does that say about the character and nature of God? If, he, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does our Father want to give us? but do we view him in this way? Because when we pray, if we have a skewed version of who we think he is, then do you not think our prayers are going to be skewed as well? 
They will be. Here's the third thing that we see based on this widow is that she knew she had access to the judge. She knew where he was going to be. She knew that she could walk around. She could yell at him. She knew that she had full-on access to him. Even if she didn't get in front of him, she knew where he was. So someone recommended this to me a couple years ago, and it's just kind of changed the way I pray. When you pray, what do you think about? I mean, just seriously, when you pray, when you sit down at nighttime or at meals or when you're praying about a specific thing, what do you think about? What do you consider before you pray? So what would it look like then if, if we read Isaiah, if we read Revelation, before we prayed, we said, okay, listen, I'm picturing God on his throne, that the entire temple is filled with his robes, that there are people and angels and serpents everywhere singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he's sitting there on his throne and and all his splendor and all of his glory and all of his wonder. And I'm about to pray to that guy. How much would that radically change the way we pray? That we have access to that kind of God, to that kind of king. That when we pray, don't just pray these passive prayers, but take a moment to ponder, to think on the character and nature of God and where he is and where he's sitting and the fact that he owns everything. That he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's created all things and he will destroy all things for his glory and by his glory. That is the king, that is the God that we're praying to. Do we consider this as we pray? Do we think that access is what we have? Ephesians 3.11 puts it this way, that, that was according to his eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So we have boldness because we have access to him. So when we pray, do we pray in confidence? Are we this widow that is confidently pursuing this judge because we know that the judge can fix this? So we have access to this king that can fix this. But we take for granted this access. We take for granted the fact that we can stop right now and pray. We'll pray three or four times over the course of this hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, hour and two hours. depends on how much I'm preaching that at any moment we can stop and pray, that we take for granted this access that we have from the king. But I want you to look at verse 8 real fast as we start to close this out. I think verse 8 should, would radically shift. My prayer is that verse 8 would radically shift us this morning. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily that he will give justice to them speedily. So, so take your Bibles and flip to Ephesians 2 real quick as we start to wrap up this morning. Ephesians 2. Because, I, listen, church, I get it. I don't want you to think that I'm some masterful prayer. I, I doubt so often in prayers I was just thinking as I was getting ready for the sermon, all the dumb stuff that I've prayed for, and I got frustrated when the Lord didn't do it. There was one time I was driving to Athens, or Watkinsville to speak to a youth group, uh, 
and coincidentally a youth group that never asked me to come back. Um, and so I'm driving down there and I'm in my Jeep and the air conditioning goes out and I'm praying, God, would you fix this Jeep? And he didn't, uh, didn't fix the air conditioning on the way. But, and I got so angry. Why did I get angry? Because my hair got messed up because I sweated. That's why I got angry with God because my hair was now messed up. I mean, can we just take a moment to realize how dumb that is? That God could have fixed my air conditioning even though this thing that I was going to was going to pay me and they paid me enough to get a new AC compressor. So like God is totally taking care of that entire situation, but I got really mad because my hair got messed up. But listen, when you don't look that good, you got to find one thing that works, and it was my hair, all right? But I've also been in that situation, I know in this, you guys in this room have been there too, we're petitioning, praying like crazy that God would heal someone and he didn't. And we lose heart. We faint, we grow tired, we grow weary. Whether it be an AC compressor or whether it be the death of someone close to us. That we lose heart, we forget. And so when Jesus brings this back in verse eight, the word justice, I think this is the, the paramount, this is the foundation that we all need to build upon. Ephesians two, one through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let's just take a second to, to understand what's taking place. He's describing us that we were born into a sinful nature, that we were the wrath of God because of our sin, because of who we are. There's nothing that we could do about it. So the most just thing, it's just so ironic that Jesus used the word justice because the most just thing that he could do is send us apart from him forever. That we deserved eternity in hell because that would be the just thing to do. That justice is nothing that we can play around with. Justice is not subjective. If you are guilty, there's a punishment. That's it. There, there's no subjectivity within justice. So that was us. We were born by nature. We were born sinful. We were born. That's who we are. Ephesians 1 through 3 just explains that so perfectly for us. Carrying out the desires of our body that we were by nature children of wrath. So what is the just thing then for us to do to receive punishment? But everything changes in verse 4. But God... So here's who we are, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he has loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, so here's what we do. Here's, we rush so far to the end of the page and go, in this certain situation, in this moment, I don't believe God has heard my prayers. I don't believe he loves me. I don't believe he cares for me. We go into this woe is me mentality. But if we would just zoom out a little bit, the only access we have to the king is through justice that was not served to us, but was served to Jesus Christ. That, that is it. So the only right that we have to pray is because justice was served but it was served to Jesus, not to us. Let's keep reading. Verse five, even when we were dead and our trespasses of sins made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace 
you have been saved. And this is not a result of your own works so that no man can boast. This is a gift of God. So please hear me. Jesus was not mincing words when he said justice was served speedily. That the reason that you and I are here as believers this morning is because justice was served, but he put his punishment on Jesus Christ, not on us. So here's my question for us this morning. Then what else matters? That if you and I have been made new creations, if the old is gone and the new has come, that we know if we follow Christ, if we are his forever, then we will be with him for eternity, that there will be one day that sin, that death, that harm can never touch us again. But I'm so angry because God's not answering this single prayer. Justice was served speedily. So when we get faint, when we start to lose heart, yes, by all means, remember the fact that we are, we can do nothing on our own, that we are helpless. Yes, please, by all means, remember that we have access to God. Remember that God can do whatever he pleases, that as much as the judge can do, he can do immeasurably more. But first, remember what Christ has already done for us. And let that be as boldness for our prayer forever after. That the whole reason we can pray because Christ died. The whole reason that God shows up for us because Christ was raised. The whole reason that we can petition him and he cares and he loves us because Christ was raised and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is it. So let me ask you a question. If God never answered another prayer for the rest of our life, is that enough? If God never came through for us again in, in the way that we view it, if God never answered another prayer is that one prayer of salvation enough? And that's something we have to wrestle with. For the apostles, it was. You don't see in Acts these guys praying selfish prayers. These guys that are martyred for their faith, they're willingly laying down their life because that one prayer was enough that God showed justice on us. But he didn't have to. But he didn't have to. So for us this morning, where are we at with our prayer life? What are we considering? What are we wrestling with? What are we pondering? But here's what I know. That as we take communion this morning, if you're a believer in this room with an examined heart, you've repented of your sin. As you take communion this morning, if we just cling fast to that, this is, God has already given us justice speedily. He went to the cross and defeated death for us. If he did that when we were his enemies, how much more will he do now that we're sons and daughters? If sin separates us, if he went to the cross and died when we were enemies of him, how much more will he do for us as sons and daughters? but it always goes back to the gospel. It always goes back to the cross. It always goes back to the resurrection. So let's pray. And Father, we, we pray what you instructed us in verse one, that we would always pray and not lose heart.
God, we know that our life can be so crazy sometimes, or so it seems. And we have a hard time deciding which way is up, and whether you love us or not, and whether you're here for us or not. So, Father, would you forgive us when it's pride? Would you forgive us when we pray all these prayers, not actually expecting that you would show up? Would you teach us, Father, that we are helpless human beings, that we can do nothing? And when that lesson comes, when the suffering and the hard times come, would we not lament the fact, but would we worship in the fact? God, would we remember that you are God, that you can do anything apart from him, we can do nothing. You are the one that does it. God, we humble ourselves in our access to you. Father, when we pray, would we remember you at the right hand of the Father? Would we picture all this taking place in glory, Father? Would we worship you fully and remember your grace for us? And from that spirit of attitude, would we then pray? and lay our petitions before you. But how do we not lose heart in prayer? Is remembering what you've already done for us. Remembering that when we take communion in a moment, that was our death. that if the wages of sin are death, and if we were born sinful in nature, that was our death. But you took our place. The justice was served that day, but it wasn't served to us, it was served to your son. So as we take communion this morning, as we break the bread which is your body as we dip it into the juice which is your blood Father let us remember all that you've already done and if you did nothing else for the rest of our life that salvation is enough but that we know that's not where it ends that you work everything together for our good that you love us that you have not only saved us but you are sanctifying us you're making us new creations from one degree of glory to another so Father when we are losing heart when prayers don't run out of our mouths Father let us go back to the cross let us remember all that you've already done and hold fast that you will do it again church in a moment communion will be open you can sit here you can remember you can meditate you can examine your heart and repent from sin but once you're ready communion is open there'll be an elder at each of the tables there'll be some ladies there you can pray with but I would just spend time praying thanking God for all that he's already done amen